From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, June 10th. Mike Mewborn, or Marlo as locals know him, takes minimalism to a new level. You've likely seen him riding his recumbent bicycle in town with his dog trotting by his side. Marlo's a glimpse into Moab's past, and for some, a potential future. Justin Higginbottom spoke to him on the shores of the Colorado River and has our latest audio portrait. Hi, uh, my name's, my legal name is Mike Mewborn, but I go by Marlowe as a nickname, and my writing name is Mars Radcon. Uh, we're, we're down along the river on the north side, yeah, where I come to sleep and also hike the dog and you know, get a little dose of nature every day. I read Ed Abbey back in you know the 70s and hitched up here in the 80s to check it out. From I hitched up here from Tucson, and it was it was a crazy scene in those days. It was all dispersed camping along the river. There was no regulation and no uh, established campsites. It was just it was just one massive party basically on both banks of the river. It was too much for me. I stayed two nights. I didn't get any sleep, and I went back to town. And just to give a, an idea of how what a sleepy little town Moab was then, I was able to pitch my tent kind of where the 7-Eleven is, right off the main street, and just basically camp there for a, you know four or five days with no trouble or no one even noticed. I don't think it was that's how it was in those days. I don't own a car. The last car I owned was a Ford Pinto, so that gives you an idea how long ago that. I think I sold that car in. 1980, and uh, haven't owned a car since. So, I had read something about uh, that you, your life might be better if you didn't have a car. That was actually part of the conversation amongst youth culture back in the late 70s or in the 70s. You know, we actually debated the um, validity of a private automobile ownership. We just kind of thought maybe that wasn't such a good thing. No, nobody talks that way anymore. And now there's an environmental component. I just don't think cars are a good idea. I just, they say that transportation contributes quite a bit to carbon and uh, climate change and uh, I don't know. But that's not the real reason. It's just life is better without a car. It forces me to exert myself physically and be more in the environment and subject to uh, weather and terrain and, you know, that's just the old authenticities that people used to always live with. I just, I'm better off if I just have those in my day-to-day existence. You know, I don't really like to live indoors either, and that's mainly a personal choice. I just do better if I'm camping and sleeping outdoors. If I have a box to be depressed in, I will be depressed in that box. I can still be depressed, but living outdoors, I can still get up and have a productive day and not just read and drink coffee and be depressed. It's a German-made recumbent. Recumbent means to lay back, so you're in a more laid-back configuration, and your pedals, instead of being below you, are out in front of you. And then typically your legs are above the steering mechanism. It's got 42,000 miles on it. I mean, I'm just living on the bike for the last 15 years, you know, racking up seven or eight miles every day, or more when I'm touring, you know, then you're doing 30, 40 miles. I just find it uh, an interesting ride. It's interesting to be in that position going through the landscape. In the recumbent world, this is referred to as the cockpit, 
and it has a little feeling like human-powered flight because you're in this more of a setting up kind of position and seeing more, I don't know, I, I just enjoy it, it's magical. When I was in my 20s, I worked in Yellowstone just for the concession. I was there to backpack, so it didn't really matter. I washed pots or bust tables, it didn't really matter what I did. In those days, if you manipulated your schedule, you could get three nights every week in the backcountry. And if you really cut it close, you could walk right in off the trail, put your backpack down and clock in, and you still have your gaiters on, you haven't had a shower or shaved, you just go right on out there and start bussing tables. That was the slick thing to do. So I started a novel, it's a series, I haven't finished it, but it's called Geyser Rush, and it's about that Yellowstone life of backpacking and crazy romances and you know the work scene and in in uh, the the mystery and lore of Yellowstone. Uh, let's see, it's the first paragraph of Guys Are Rush. The, the uh, chapter is called Yearning and Thirsting. A simple cabin in the woods. How many Americans, particularly young Americans, will say it exactly like that? All I want is a simple cabin in the woods. On cue, young people utter these words right at the crossroads, the fateful moment of hesitation before their life becomes freighted with career and salary and the requirement to spend money on the large tangibles, which, as we know, exact such a toll on the spirit. I myself once voiced the phrase, more or less in that fashion. I think maybe it'd be nice someday to own a simple cabin in the woods. That's right, three or four years ago, those very words moved across my lips. The cabin I had in mind was more of an A-frame rather than something squat and made of logs, but it amounted to the same thing. I was still in college, and the utterance offered to a fellow dorm dweller, likewise drinking beer, was a reaction to feeling the subtle pull, the expectation coming from the culture, to get on with it, finish up, get the degree and the job, and to start making it, my life that is, materially complicated and burdensome. usually wake up here in the camp at, uh, I'm usually awake by 8, sometimes it's early as 7. The dog knows not to uh, go outside until we've had some coffee. First stop is the storage unit where I offload all the camping gear. It's at just 50 pounds right away, right off the load. Every day if I don't sort of patch and mend and work on the bike and maintenance things, it's the only way I can kind of keep it all kind of running. And I'm always behind. There's always something. For instance, I started I started putting a patch on this tent pole bag and I had to quit. And I just had to leave it like that. I'll finish it tomorrow. And then I go back to the office and try to write religiously between, between two and four every day. That's my dedicated, really moving the story along. And then at four, it's kind of back to the unit, re-gear up, come down here, hike with the dog, practice the penny whistle, let her be off leash for an hour or more, two hours sometimes. Set up camp, cook, have a beer, and usually by seven I try to settle into another writing session.
Ed Abbey played one, and I think I read that somewhere, and I thought I'd try it. And you know, there's sheet music, and it's a formalized instrument. It's two octaves and half notes, and makes a good little traveling instrument because it's light, it's durable. Now I have five titles out there. Would like to think I can write a, a book a year or put out a book a year in my current. It's all I do now. I don't have a day job. I mean, I volunteer some in town, but uh, this is my main focus is the writing. I sort of often say my life seems to revolve around three things. My dog, my bike, and my laptop. I mean, I have friends and I volunteer. I do some other things because you need some social life and a love life. And, but yeah, those three things are what my existence orbit around. And that's the way I want it. I want to just keep going until I can't do it anymore. I'm, you know, just determined that way. Thank you to Mike Mewborn, known to locals as Marlo. This was an audio portrait by Justin Higginbottom. These non-narrated profiles feature people in the Moab Valley and appear every so often in the newscast. If you think there's someone we should profile, please reach out to news at kzmu.org. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. Grand County's Class of 2022 celebrated graduation last week. Sophia Fisher of the Times Independent has a couple of articles related to this commencement. First, the ceremony. The commencement speaker was the HMK art coach Bruce Hocko. Uh, we also heard from valedictorian Tanner Crane and salutatorian Alexis Carroll. We also heard a musical performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a really, a really lovely ceremony and, you know, got to see everybody's name called. They got to walk through the big G, which was mm-hmm. my first Grand County High School mm-hmm. graduation ceremony that I got to see. So that was a little fun. That was pretty fun cool. Part. Big congrats to the, to the grads. Um, it's interesting, though, too, the TI, you have also written sort of a companion story about graduation rates. Yes. Um, tell us about this one. Yes. So uh, several weeks ago, um, the state released graduation rate data from 2014 to 2021 for all of the school districts in the state. Um, and unfortunately, Grand County High School's graduation rate um, on that dashboard was among the lowest in the mm-hmm. state at 79% in 2021, um, compared to, I believe, an 88% graduation rate statewide. And actually, over the course of that seven-year period, statewide rates had risen while Grand County County's rate had slid. It actually started at 90%. Okay. And what did you, you know, I'm sure you talked to school administrators, you know, any explanations for the decrease? Absolutely. So yeah, I spoke with Superintendent Taryn Kay, as well as uh, the high school principal, Mary Marable, and a school counselor, Derek Cook. Um, And it is true, it does look like that 79% is somewhat artificially low because of the way the state calculates graduation rates. So actually, if a student comes into Grand County High in ninth grade and and leaves at any point, and the school district doesn't figure out exactly where they went, like can't, you know, provide the new Mm. school name, they're counted against our graduation rate. Interesting. Okay, Mm. so it could be some of that. What about other factors? Yeah, I mean, at the same time, despite the fact that there is that kind of like conflicting information, um, it does look like graduation rates are still on something of a concerning decrease for a few reasons. One of them that uh, several people mentioned is state policy that essentially removes the consequence for a student not attending school after Mm -hmm. the age of 12. I was a house bill passed a couple of years ago and and a student used to get referred to, uh, I think, a truancy court with their parents. Mm -hmm. And the judge would tell them like, hey, you have to be going to school right now if they miss too many days. And that 
that requirement got removed for, you know, good reasons of, of getting kids out of the judicial system. Mm-hmm. I think the state didn't like kids floating around there, but mm-hmm. had the consequence of removing mm-hmm. consequence for a student who didn't attend school. Um, what about the pandemic or other related factors, not just here, but also statewide? Absolutely. Yeah, the pandemic was mentioned by everybody. I mean, uh, Taryn Kay said a lot of students kind of went away during the pandemic and just mm-hmm. never came back. Yeah. Um, a lot of students fell behind, got stressed, their social phobias got worse, as, mm-hmm. as what Derek Cook had told me. So that was definitely a part of it. Um, mm-hmm. And then, actually, uh, Mary Marable also mentioned the fact that there's a really strong job basis here mm-hmm. with very high wages. And a lot of students, you know, either because they just want to make more money or really need to help out with family finances, might be drawn away from a high school mm-hmm. education to, to go work full time. Okay, so a lot of tough challenges for our local kids. Anything else to say about this piece in the Times Independent about high school graduation rates? Um, I know that the high school is working to create new what they call pathways towards graduation, which would allow kids to get more credit for participating in athletics or, you know, work credit hours, Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, So they're working to meet kids uh, where they're at. Thank you for the coverage on that. And I'm hoping you can take us um, somewhere else to sales tax. Uh, What is happening here? Yeah, I I spoke with uh, Strategic Development Director at Grand County, Chris Baird, and it looks like the county is seeing, he said, widespread discrepancies in how a bunch of local businesses are either collecting, reporting, or paying sales taxes. Mm. Um, He did say there are still a lot of unanswered questions about what's going on here, but it seems like a lot of businesses are either collecting the right amount of sales tax but reporting them wrong, so it looks like they're not Mm. collecting the right taxes or they're just not collecting the right taxes. Um, But he doesn't right now have the data to say which one it is, but he definitely says there's some sort of substantial misreporting going on across thousands of local businesses. Mm, Okay, so how did this come to, to your attention? Grand County, in revising its Title V business licensing ordinances, adding, um, I think, a sales tax affidavit that mm-hmm. businesses have to submit every time they get or renew their business license, which attests to an understanding of local and state tax responsibilities. Okay. And in a- that affidavit was added partially because they've seen this issue of, of misreporting or, or miscollecting sales tax. And in your reporting, you say that the county isn't necessarily taking a financial hit. Can you explain that? Yeah. So I was asking uh, Chris Barrett if it seems like Grand County wasn't getting the right tax revenue mm-hmm. and it's unclear at this moment. They I might see. be, they might not be. He okay. he said the State Tax Commission has a lot more data on this. So it's not necessarily that Grand County's like pocketbooks are thinner because of mm-hmm. this, but there's okay. definitely some sort of like issue going on with data. Uh, and so this is something that the county is actively working on? Yeah, yeah. He's doing more analysis and he said he's, he's reaching out to the Utah State Tax Commission and the Tax Commission really has the power to look into this more closely and potentially conduct an audit or, or do whatever's necessary to kind of figure out what's going on there. Lastly, in the article, Sophia, you talk about property taxes. Property taxes are okay? Yes. <laughs> so uh, Chris Kaufman, who is the treasurer for Grand County, gave a presentation Tuesday to the Grand County Commission. So this is another county tax story, but not related to sales tax. Okay. Um, and the, the good news from there is that the collection rate of real property taxes reached an all-time high last year of 97.4%. That is pretty And in terms of the why should we care message, (laughs) um, actually, when collection rates increase, so the collection rate is really just the proportion of taxes charged that the county actually gets, you know, that people submit. Um, And the higher that rate gets, the lower tax rates actually get. Mm -hmm. So uh, Kaufman said that because of this increase to 97.4%, taxpayers will save about $70,000 this year total in, in a decrease in tax rates. Wow. Well, thank you, Sophia. You got into the weeds with taxes this week. Finally, Sophia, the Times Independent um, has a piece about 
changes in the county's planning department. Yes, uh, planning and zoning director John Gunther, who's been in the role for just about a year, announced that he's actually resigning uh, next week and headed to Spain. He's actually the third director of that department to Mm -hmm. resign or leave in the past two years. Zachariah Levine had left that department, which at the time had a different name, in summer 2020. Mm-hmm. He was replaced by Mila Dunbar-Irwin uh, later that year, and then she left early 2021. So there's definitely been some turmoil. Uh, Dunbar-Irwin also left alongside um, another planner. So actually that department had lost most of its staff a little over a year ago. Um, so it's you know definitely still seeing a lot of staff turnover, unfortunately. Lot of staff turnover. Does that mean that the county has to go through another hiring process to get another director? Yeah, I spoke with Mallory Nassau and she said they are beginning that process of finding a new director. Sophia Fisher, staff writer at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. There are now five disposal sites around Grand County for locals and visitors to safely throw away their wag bags. As Maggie McGuire of the Moab Sun News explains, it's the latest multi-agency effort to protect solid waste employees from human waste. So first, what is a wag bag? Basically, it's like a wrapper or a bag that you take with you if you're going into the backcountry or sometimes on river trips, basically anywhere where there's not going to be like developed like toilet facilities. It's a portable toilet. You wrap it up and you take it with you. The problem comes... When like, okay, what what do you do with it? (laughs) Yeah, once you go home, once you're out of the backcountry, you know, what do you do with it? Yeah, and these are like commercially made. So these have like chemicals inside of them that are aimed at, you know, canceling out smell and also like for health reasons, like balancing out biohazards. Mm -hmm. And usually on these pre-made wag bags, you know, they just are labeled as being landfill safe. Mm. Which is really interesting because, again, I guess health-wise they are landfill safe, but actually for the um, solid waste workers who are transporting them, this gets really problematic. Mm. Actual people have to pick up these wag bags that are being left in residential trash cans and that can create problems with compactors and they've actually been seriously affected. Absolutely. When you're just throwing a a bag of garbage into the back of a garbage truck, Mm We all know a garbage truck. The method is compaction. So that blade comes down and squishes the garbage. Really unfortunately, um, these are sealed bags. So they have a tendency to explode. Mm -hmm. And I kind of really respect the the Canyonland Solid Waste Authority Mm -hmm. because obviously this is like a really serious concern, not only for just like the dignity, I suppose, Mm -hmm. of like workers, but it's also a public health threat. It's unusual Mm -hmm. to talk about this kind of incident publicly, I'd say. This is a really interesting place for not only having practical interventions, but also doing some public awareness about something that people don't want to talk about, but we have to. Right. So local employees of the Solid Waste District are um, encountering not so great things when you put your wag bag in the trash. Now all these groups have kind of come together to address it. So yeah, a few months ago, one of the first ways that um, Canyonland Solid Waste Authority tried to deal with this was at the transfer station, which is um, on 191, kind of south of town. Mm -hmm. Um, They were like, hey, and we'll accept wag bags from commercial and non-commercial places here. And it's just so that these human waste (laughs) items are separated out from like normal garbage. They're going to be treated a little different. It's a way that also that workers can like protect themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, 
for commercial like outfitters mm-hmm. that might be a good solution um but for like a van lifer mm-hmm. you know who's just like cruising into town that might be a little bit of a, a big ask unfortunately mm-hmm. to kind of like drive drive a little bit out of their way and go in and kind of hand someone you know a bunch of like foil wrapped unsavory burrito looking yeah human waste bags <laughs> So the way that a bunch of organizations here, um, including the, who are very concerned about this, mm-hmm. the Canyonland Solid Waste Authority, the Southeast Utah Health Department, the city of Moab and Grand County all came together and said like, okay, well, let's try to brainstorm. Mm-hmm. So um, they're launching a pilot program where at five different places, including the transfer station, Um, the health department, the wastewater treatment facility, but also kind of way more importantly, Lions Park Mm -hmm. and the transit center, Mm -hmm. which is just like kind of the parking lot across from Lions Park, Mm -hmm. right at the intersection Mm -hmm. of 191 and River Road. So workers with the Solid Waste Authority had said that that was really one of the worst places Mm -hmm. for them just basically interacting with Mm -hmm. like gnarly, gross bad stuff so this initiative is just basically pretty straight simple and straightforward it's just putting big very identifiable garbage cans there that are like Mm -hmm. these are poop garbage cans this means that employees from solid waste can go to a specific site they know what to expect Mm -hmm. and also lions park being a hub Mm -hmm. as you said um people who are just coming off like their own like weekend backpacking trip they they know where to put them and also keep people safe yeah it's basically it seems to me like it's just giving people a good opportunity to do the right thing i find it really interesting because you know in the press release from the the canyon solid waste authority they included a lot of perspectives directly from mm-hmm. solid waste mm-hmm. workers who are kind of the front lines so it was really interesting to get a little bit of a sense of of you know what do, what is the day-to-day of this and right. you know you could tell that they felt like I mean, to to put it frankly, like a real drag. A real drag. (laughs) It's a real drag. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see where this pilot program goes because, you know, wag bags are pretty specific items that are meant to be convenient, that are meant to be, you know, relatively low risk in a a public health sense. Mm -hmm. And from, you know, the perspectives from the solid waste workers, you know, this issue kind of extends way beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just sounds a little bit like, you know, with the amount of travelers that we have here, it's another interesting way that you see like high rates of visitation sort of unexpectedly mm-hmm. impact um, areas of our society and, you know, workers in our society that you wouldn't necessarily mm-hmm. think of first. Well, there's more on this issue in the Moab Sun News this week. Um, mm-hmm. You have another article I'm hoping you can highlight related to special event permits yeah. in the county. What's going on with special events? This is an issue that the county has talked about for a long time. <laughs> yeah. So the special events permitting process used to be really focused on sort of the practical aspects of event promotion. Mm-hmm. But, you know, now that Moab's getting more attention and there's a lot of out-of-town events mm-hmm. that aren't even necessarily directed at folks who live here you know this isn't exactly like you know a homecoming parade or something like that sometimes these are very large um commercial events so a couple years ago um the county commission you know kind of noticed this was like causing a little bit of friction and decided to sort of bring the that special events approval process a little bit closer to the purview of of the county commission for 
a few different reasons. Mm -hmm. But basically, they wanted to get more involved and be able to view these events not only through like, hey, is this you know, practical, what's the time, what's mm-hmm. the date, you know, kind of doing right. these like simple box checking. But they also wanted to, you know, evaluate whether these events um, were going to be compatible with the location. Mm-hmm. You know, these are, again, sometimes larger events than than mm-hmm. would have happened in Moab, you know, whatever, 10, 15 sure. years ago. Um, obviously, you know, noise yeah. is a continual conversation mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. in Moab. And also, like, basically um, community benefit as mm-hmm. well. So they wanted to put it through, like, a more fine and, and frankly, a little bit of a subjective filter. Which is all well and good, except that county staff is now reminding them that, you know, there does have to be like a form or a way of evaluating that or like, what do we mean when we say community mm-hmm. benefit? And so it's interesting hearing um, the commission, you know, kind of try to to narrow that down and nail it down. Um, like I say, these are things that are inherently subjective, but that doesn't mean that you can't put at least a broad lasso around them. So this is creating, if I'm understanding correctly, this is creating sort of like a rubric around this how does this event bring us community benefit and being able to tick those boxes whatever they are yeah yeah so basically right now organizers have Mm -hmm. to spend a lot of time completing an application before it even goes Mm -hmm. in front of the commission Mm -hmm. and then the commission could theoretically say like well we didn't like the location or we're concerned about noise levels Mm -hmm. and they it it can feel for it to the organizers Mm -hmm. like they kind of have to go back to the beginning yeah, to square one, um, yeah. after they've already invested like a good deal of time and effort in putting mm-hmm. these applications in place. And it seems like county staff is just suggesting like, let's front load some of that mm-hmm. into the application process. I think special events, not only in Grand County, but in, in Moab proper, this is going to be like an ongoing conversation. And before you go, Maggie, the Mosin News also has a fun community article about a fiddler. Yeah. Do you ever like where you're walking and you just see one of the many, many community billboards and there's a flyer for an event and you're like, oh, that one's good. Maybe I'm revealing a lot about myself (laughs) personally. This one's like in my niche where uh, it is a fiddling poet from Alaska will come and I guess poetize and fiddleize. Uh, at Grand County Public Library on June 16th. So not, a, I mean, the Grand County Public Library, I know they've had like author events and speaking events, poetry stuff. So this is, and they've had music. So this is mm-hmm. combine, combining words and music. Yeah. This wandering fiddler, his name is Ken Waldman. He's coming here partially because he's on a little bit of a book tour. So he'll be fiddling, he'll be reading poetry, and he's also going to be reading excerpts from his new book, which is called Now Entering Alaska Time. Um, and again, I can feel some people out there, these combination of like keywords are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to that. And you're my people. Maggie McGuire, editor at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.